You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Colt Gennaro Chat. It's a Friday edition. I'm Jeremy. I'm joined by a special guest today, Zach Hicks of Vireal USA. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. Zach, uh, along with our, our good friend Alan, runs Vireal USA, our sister site on the SB Nation network. And we are going to be talking, among other things, about... Atletico's game against Villarreal on Sunday at La Ceramica, a partidazzo. We're going to preview that game in just a little bit here. We're going to start with a little bit of Copa del Rey discussion. Uh, it was a good day for Atletico on uh, Thursday, Zach. A 5-0 win over Rayo Mahadanda. It was not so good for Villarreal, upset in the round of 32 by Sporting Gijon. What happened in that game? Um, well, I... Uh as has been a theme this year, uh, whenever Jiro Rui tries to play out short from the back, um, there's at least a 20% chance that something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> um, and so that was the first goal. Um, and then honestly, I just, we started the game missing so many of the pieces that have made the offense run so fluidly the last few weeks. And so by the time we stuck Gerard on and everything in the second half, it was just, uh, they had the momentum they needed uh, in order to um, come back and get that done. At the end of the day, I was annoyed when it happened yesterday, obviously. Um, 
but we have so much ground to make up in La Liga and such a big matchup coming up uh, in the Champions League that I'm really not but so upset that we don't have to play any more of these Copa games. Mm. Yeah, that's certainly understandable. Uh, there just gets to be a point in the season uh, where the fixtures are just so congested and they just come thick and fast one on top of the other. January and February usually particularly brutal months. And with the way Villarreal's season has gone... It's gone really well lately. Uh, four wins on the balance in La Liga. But with the way it's gone, you can never be too sure, right? You don't want to take any chances when you have potential European competition revenue on the line. Exactly. So disappointing though it may be, not the end of the world. Right. That uh, you guys were knocked out on uh, Thursday. Atletico, on the other hand, 5-0 winners at the Wanda Metropolitano. Uh, not going to spend too much time on this because we do have some other stuff to blaze through here. But I thought this was uh, a very good performance from Atletico playing a much stronger team than I anticipated. And starting with Jan Oblak in goal, his first cup game in seven years. You can believe that. I was uh, pretty surprised he played. Is, um... I don't mean this to, to derail us or upset any Atletico fans, but is Jan Oblak still good? <laughs> I still think he is. He's had a bad season, but yeah, I think he's still a, I, I a just keeper. The guy went from like, it, it almost reminded me of David De Gea, where it was like he went from being this like incredible, impossible to beat goalkeeper to like super ordinary, and I, I can't find a real explanation for it. Mm. Yeah, you, you and me both, man. It's been really weird. Uh, and we've talked about it a little bit over the course of the season as Atletico's defense has been a consistent sore spot. Oblak in particular has has had the has had a rough go. I think he's dealt with some confidence issues because we are just getting hit so much on the counterattack. But two clean sheets in the past two games, and it was a, a very strong lineup that played yesterday. What encouraged me the most was the our of our three first half goals. All of them came from instances where Atletico won the ball back in the opponent's final third. Like, a well-executed high press. What is this? We don't do this. Yeah, it's highly I, encouraging. I'm, afraid, I'm afraid that y'all are figuring that uh, trick out at uh, the, the wrong time for Villarreal because <laughs> it's how we've given up a significant number of goals so far this season. Mm. And that is a... That's a fun fact to know as we get ready for this game on Sunday. Uh, Mateus Cunha and Yannick Carrasco, who I expect are going to start on Sunday, so this is relevant. Uh, they played key roles in really all three of the goals. Carrasco won the ball back on, I think, two of them, and Cunha on the other. Just intelligent, aggressive, high press. Atletico don't have an entire squad's worth of personnel to carry that out, but a guy like Cunha is being utilized properly in this sense, and I think he's going to be a a key figure on Sunday, given that we're going to be without Luis Suarez and Antoine Griezmann, who got injured in the second half. Um, Carrasco's probably having a better season than both of them, though, isn't he? He's having a good year. Um, he's had a couple patches where he hasn't played very well. His decision-making's been kind of off the rails a little bit, um, off-color, out-of-character. But overall, I'd say he's been one of our better players this year because he's asked to do a lot of work uh, on the left-hand side, on the right-hand side the past couple games. And he offers a change of pace and a directness that we don't have too much of in the rest of the squad. And I 
I haven't checked the numbers like shot creating actions, et cetera. I haven't checked those in a couple weeks, but um, he was way up there last season. And last I saw, he was um, in a pretty high register in La Liga this year as well. Yeah, he's one of those guys, um, a little bit like Semi Chiquese at Villarreal, where he just he causes chaos a little bit for opposing defenses. And so, you know, like you said, when you look at just the overall shot-creating actions, whether that's drawing fouls or, you know, uh, creating shots that have rebounds to them or stuff like that, it just comes up with ways to give other people opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yep, and those all count. Those all figure in the methodology. So if we get a, a Carrasco that is in form and playing well and playing inspired – and it really does make Atletico better. He was so, so good down the stretch last season. And without him and his contributions toward the end, we don't win La Liga. So if we're recovering Carrasco and finding a better role for Cunha, then I think yesterday we'll, ha- we'll have to go down as a, as a success. But the real test is on Sunday, Zach. And let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the Yellow Submarine. Villarreal have been on fire in La Liga, uh, the result yesterday in the Cup notwithstanding. Earlier this season, it looked like Unai Emery was a dead coach walking. What happened? How has how he resurrected Villarreal here? Um, quite simply, Gerard Moreno got fit and got in form. Um, he, he's such an interesting player because he, it's hard to really point at exactly how he, he he comes up with all the goals and the plays that he does he's just because he's not super fast he doesn't have a ton of dribble moves uh, but he's just got so much intelligence and quality passing and finishing the ball that um, when you put him in there he offers something that nobody else does and it completely changes the dynamic that we have going forward mm. yeah he's awfully good isn't he and he was out for a good what four weeks five weeks there it was something like that. I mean, we went a long time where, like, um, either him or Dan, Dan Juma were out uh, one or the yeah. other for long periods of time. And that's still been the case the last couple of weeks. Um, so we really haven't gotten to see what I would consider our um, full force offense much this season. Um, but it, when, he's, when, when Gerard in particular is in there, he's not just – on the receiving end of balls, but he's dropping deep out of that front too um, and helping us in possession and creating all kinds of havoc. Yeah, he drops deep and and plays really the role of a a 7, a 10, and of course a 9 because he had a 30-goal season last year. It is good to see him healthy again. He's one of my favorite players in La Liga, and I would kill to see him play for us, but you you don't want to hear that. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Look, frankly, I think y'all have um, enough play off a traditional nine type attackers already. I don't think you need to collect Gerard along with him. I would expect you to say that. (laughs) I would expect that from you. But the last league game Villarreal played was a 5-0 pasting of Levante. Uh, Levante getting closer each day, Zach, to a relegation. Uh, Amazing. They still haven't won this season. Villarreal certainly gave them no chance. What did you most like about that, that Manita, that display against Levante? Um, well, first of all, I want to say that Le- Levante, for a team that hasn't won any games, is surprisingly good. Like, I know that's a weird thing to say, but, like, they're a legitimately dangerous team. We just happened to demoralize them early in that one. 
Um, but I think the biggest thing for me in that match is just seeing uh, Bulai Dia finally getting on track. Uh, he's had he showed some really good things in his first couple appearances for the club, and then he kind of disappeared uh, for a couple months. So seeing him getting things, um, you know, in more of a rhythm uh, was really, really good to see. Uh, and if he comes back from the African Cup of Nations with that same kind of mentality, I think it'll be good for us the rest of the way. Yeah, we talked a little bit before the season, and, and Dia was a guy you were really excited about. And he got off to a pretty good start. Uh, Danjuma as well. Uh, the Danju Magic has been pretty prominent for you guys this season. How good a signing was he? He's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, it, it, I was telling somebody just earlier today that like, he, he when you look at his defensive output, it looks like he plays no defense whatsoever. But if that was the case, then he wouldn't fit in an Unai Emery system. What he does is he's not working very hard to recover the ball, but he's always going to be in the right place um, defensively. So our team shape uh, stay, uh, stays the same. And then as soon as the ball gets turned over, he's gone. And, and I mean, in one-on-one situations with opposing defenders, he's as good as anybody in my league. I mean, he is absolutely outstanding. I, I thought we were getting a decent player uh, when he signed, but I did not think we were getting anything anywhere near this electric. And here's a guy who was playing in the championship last year, the second tier in English football. He comes over, and it's a pretty big disparity between the quality in the championship and the quality at, at, at La Liga. And he's got five goals this season and, and around 800 minutes. And he scored against Atletico early this year, so we know how dangerous he is. Yeah, I think he's been undoubtedly one of the signings of the season. And I don't think he's going to be going anywhere. I, if I read correctly, his release clause is $75 million. Yeah, I, you know, if if he really wants to go somewhere this summer and Villarreal can make a good profit on him, I think they'll take that deal. Um, but I, this in January, with Champions League football coming uh, still on the table and with us trying to get solidly back into European places, unless somebody hits his claws, he isn't going anywhere this January, that's for sure. Another guy that I don't think is going to be going anywhere anytime soon is Jeremy Pino. Uh, who is one of my favorite young players in La Liga. How important is he to this Villarreal side? Um, he's had an interesting year. He started the year off really, really well. Um, and then I think he just got wore out. I think he got tired uh, because some of his, some of the defensive effort and decision-making that, that would made him so useful in the opening couple months uh, started to fade out of his game. Um, but then he got, you know, uh, Chiquese got back from his injury, and that gave Pino some time to rest. And uh, Jeremy's really come back on strong lately, and I think he's just, he's the exact kind of player that Unai Emery can trust because he's always going to be in the right place, he's always going to be working hard, and he's not selfish, so he's always looking to create things for other people. Um, and, and having that kind of player out there gives us a bit of a balance and attack that we don't always have when he's not on the pitch. Mm. Last season, there was quite a bit of controversy when Unai Emery wouldn't play Take Kubo, and Jeremy was getting a lot of his minutes, and it was really, I wouldn't say a flashpoint, but it was, it was very controversial on social media, uh, because you know Real Madrid Loney should be getting minutes, etc., but Jeremy was, was out playing him. But that, that's just because Real Madrid fans literally don't watch anybody else in La Liga play. And and I'm convinced that half of them on Twitter don't even watch Real Madrid play unless it's in the Champions League. I mean, it, it just... It, 
Koopa would was never where he was supposed to be. Uh, he played. If you ever watch like a, a, a U6 kids game where they all just chase the ball around everywhere it goes on the pitch, that's how Takakubo plays. Just wherever <laughs> the ball is, he goes and runs six yards away. And it created these awful gaps in transition every time we lost the ball. And Unai Emery got tired of it, and Jeremy Pino stepped in and was just as effective offensively with, with far better of a football brain. And it was just one of those things that, I don't know, I, I really ought to just stop arguing with people on Twitter that clearly don't watch Villarreal play, but it's still really, really annoying. Yeah, you and me both, man. That's a New Year's resolution is to not argue with people on Twitter anymore. So. It gets obnoxious. Uh, Villarreal have had a, quite a disparity between their home and away results this season. Just one win away from home, but per usual, pretty strong at La Ceramica. Six wins from ten, uh, two draws and two defeats. What makes Villarreal so good at home? What is so unique about La Ceramica that makes it so I difficult think, to play at? I think part of that is actually just kind of the the way the schedule played out relative to the other factors contributing to our form. Mm. Um, I don't I don't think we're a terrible road team. I just think we started to get good right about the time of the season where we had a few road, uh, home games in a row. Um, but... I, when you're in La Ceramica, you're in a pretty small stadium. Um, even but like, I, like we were playing in, in against Sporting Gijon yesterday, and I think they have a bigger stadium than we do. Um, even as a second tier side, but of course it's a historic giant in Spanish football. Um, so it's it's a very um, closed in space, which means that you don't need a ton of people there to make it really loud. Um, and and I think that helps uh, for sure. Uh, but I think in this particular season, a lot of it really just is um, we happen to hit form right when I think like three out of our four games were at home. Um, and so it, it made our home record look a lot better than it would have looked to, you know, just a month ago. Mm. And somehow that's what it takes. It just takes some quirks in the scheduling yep. to, to get you back in form. Um, Atletico aren't really reliant on Board, academy born and bred homegrown players Villarreal in contrast extremely reliant on players who come from the academy uh, just to name a few Pau Torres Manu Trigueros uh, you know Gerard Moreno Pau, several guys Jeremy Pau Torres those are all guys who were born and bred from Villarreal's from the lower levels from Villarreal's academy as a supporter a, a, someone who writes about the team watches them on a weekly basis um how much pride does it give you knowing that Villarreal placed such a heavy emphasis on investment in the youth and investment in young players and seeing these kids, uh, especially like Pau Torres, uh, the most prompt, one of the most prominent examples, uh, come from a town of 50,000 and pledge his loyalty to the club? Well, what's great about Villarreal is they, they don't just do it to support the first team like they also the club also has um a whole bunch of football academies um all over the globe they've got several in the united states they've got uh like the two closest to me there's one in my home state and one in virginia and where none of the people from those academies are ever going to go play for Villarreal, but they're just they're helping young people grow through soccer and they're they're you know and they're dedicated to doing it in such a way um that helps them entirely as a person so like even the um not just the young players 
in Spain and their academy, but also the ones uh, here in the States have access um, to club psychologists and therapists that will help them make sure they've got a good balance between sport and life and things like that. Mm. Um, and I think it's just kind of that people first approach that, that personifies so much of what the club does and everything. Um, and one of the symptoms of that is having a lot of youth products in the first team. Um, so it just, it makes you proud of the club as a whole because of how they prioritize people, not just that they can produce good footballers. And that's, to me, that's such an impressive and admirable um, quality, and it's such an admirable philosophy and a strategy to enact in the club. Um, you know, Villarreal have, have a very rich owner, you, you know, it's a billionaire owner uh, who hails from the area, but it's that money isn't going into expensive transfers. It's the equivalent is like a small market team in North America and like the NBA or the NFL. It's a really small market. It's as more like a town than a city right so well um, yeah I, I i'm a in the nba i'm a san antonio spurs fan and it's kind of that same that same mentality sure, of yeah. you know instead of being the place that's going to go and track the giant free agent um we're going to build this and make people better and we're going to do well that way and and Villarreal is really good at that and what i mean the the Fernando Roy's is really interesting because what he did with Villarreal was he put enough money into it to make it a self-sustaining top-flight club in Spain. Um, and a lot of owners with his wealth don't do that. They just keep pouring in money and money, 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 money. Mm-hmm. But what he did was he built something that can function in such a way that has the infrastructure there um, that even... Um, when he's gone, uh, those things are still going to continue to produce uh, positive things for the club and for the community, um, and it's a lot more sustainable, um, and that makes me excited as somebody that follows me here. Yeah, it ensures that you've always got a steady pipeline. It, in, it ensures that it's something that can be replicated, and with, with right. so many clubs, they just kind of bounce between one philosophy and the other. I mean, I can tell you from watching Atletico over the years, it's disappointing that we don't have that strong a pipeline anymore from the under-19s from the B team up to the first team. We've had uh, players from those squads in training with the first team. They've made match day squads, maybe even a, a short cameo, a substitute appearance here and there. But when when I see clubs like Villarreal and Athletic uh, place, and La Real as well, Real Sociedad, place such an emphasis on bringing these kids through and, and enacting these strategies it's it's something I respect, and I'm a little envious of it. Well, I think Atletico <laughs> got caught, and in, in a lot of ways they're caught halfway between the clubs like us and the club, and then Real Madrid and Barcelona. Sure. And yeah. as as the you know, if you really want to step up and compete with those two year in and year out for the La Liga title, then yeah, I mean you you've got to spend money at least in a way that emulates the way they spend money because you you're never going to produce enough simply homegrown talent to do that yeah it's um, the nature so of the atletico finds itself kind of caught in between where you know they want they want to have a shot at the la league title um but they also can't afford to spend all the money that those two are spending um so i'm sure there's a lot of youth kids that get lost in the shuffle and then you got to kind of figure out which i think is part of why Simeone's had to evolve so much tactically over the last 10 years because you know he doesn't have that steady he can't just rely on that steady stream like they do at Athletic Club or La Real, where 
hey, all these kids have been playing the same kind of football their entire lives. Now here's how we're going to play in the first game. Mm-hmm. It is just really night and day from when Cholo took over the club Christmas 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago now, when at that time Atletico could go an entire window and spend only 5 million euros. Now it's player salaries are 5 million euros. Yeah. Uh, it's the nature of the beast. When when you're in the tier Atletico are in, um, well, and what you've traded, money. what you've traded it for, basically, is that like, I mean, when he showed up, and even after he showed up for a couple of years, there, like, y'all went a really long time without beating Real Madrid mm-hmm. for for a few years there, years. And, you know, and he he stopped that winning a trophy while he did it, and then you know, it's kind of, and it's one of those things that, like, yes, it's come at the expense of some of the youth products, but don't get it twisted. Clubs like us and Real Sociedad would probably be very tempted to trade some of those homegrown players for a couple of league titles oh, in the sure. last 10 years, too. Oh, sure. Flags fly forever, right? Yeah. You know, banners, are they're always present, always in the rafters. Uh, what's the deal with the Paco Alcacer? Um, he's been hurt lately, um, but he hasn't really had a great season even before he got hurt. Um, he's a really interesting player uh, because he's a very deadly finisher, um, and he's really good at, uh, you know, Johan Cruyff was always famous for talking about one-touch football. Paco gets one-touch football. Like, a lot of his assists and created shots are him getting it, making one touch off to somebody else, or him getting it, making one touch to get a shot off. Um, The problem is that when he's not doing that, he isn't doing a ton else. Um, And it makes him kind of a hard piece to fit in tactically, um, especially because of the fact that he's not an aerial threat. Um, So you can't just lob balls in for him to get headers with either. Um, So I like him. There's a lot at at our site. There's a lot of mixed opinions about him. Um, I like him. He's just kind of a hard player uh, to fit into a whole technical scheme unless you've got exactly what he needs to succeed. Because if he's not scoring, there's not a whole else he's doing. Right. Yeah, players like that can be... Tough to find. Atletico have a similar problem with with Luis Suarez, who is our leading scorer with nine this season. He ended a two month goal drought on Thursday, but because he turns thirty five later this month, because he can't really run at all anymore, he's he's rather limited in what we can expect out of him. He doesn't have the he still has the killer instinct, but he doesn't have the athleticism or the versatility uh, or that multifaceted game that he used to have when he was at Liverpool, Barcelona, et cetera. So Atletico yeah, he used to be a issue. really good creator, and that's just yeah. that's kind of he's he's really simplified his game a lot in the last couple of years. Part of it was by design uh, when Simeone uh, tweaked the team and, and the structure entirely last season to uh, to go to the three five two, with the idea being we get more players closer to the box, we just have Suarez finish chances rather than create them. And but that that part of Suarez's game, uh, the the creation ability, the dribbling, uh, really anything to do with speed, with foot speed, really anything at all, has kind of disappeared. And we've had some trouble this season finding a system and finding a solution where okay, he's probably Atletico's best goal scorer, but if he's not doing that, he can actively hurt the team because he's a statue. Right. right. Absolutely. So it is an interesting conundrum. Yeah. Looking a bit further um, ahead beyond uh, Sunday, you guys have a pretty crucial Champions League uh, tie coming up against Juventus. Uh, will Villarreal make any uh, purchases this month, any investments to fortify the squad? What are your early thoughts entering the Juve tie next month? 
I don't think so. Um, I mean, we're one of those clubs that you'll hear absolutely nothing, and then all of a sudden we go out and do something. <laughs> um, but I would love to get another center back uh, because um, I don't really trust Aisa Mendy, and he's he's out this month anyway for the African Cup of Nations. Right. Um, and we're just – we rely so much on Pau Torres and Raul Albiol that I'd really like another center back, but I don't think one is coming in. Um, and then there's um, Cedric Bakambu is, is out of contract, um, and there was it was rumored for a while that he was coming back, but I don't know. I haven't heard a whole lot else on that front, and I kind of feel like to bring him in, we'd have to move one of the other two strikers, and I don't think that's going to happen. So I think we're going to stand pat this month. Mm. From the Atletico perspective, it looks like we're going to be buying. Uh, Kieran Trippier's move to Newcastle confirmed on Friday, and Atletico are short at least one defender. Ideally, I'd like to sign a, a right back who can play center back or vice versa. Uh, Cesar Azpilicueta strikes me as a perfect fit, but I don't think he's leaving Chelsea. So we'll, we'll see what Atletico do. I think one defender is at least one defender is going to come in this month, and it depends on who else can be moved uh, given La Liga's salary cap and, and the, the salary limits, it, it requires one in, one out. So it, it's difficult well, in January, especially for teams to buy. The, the answer is obviously to just um, cancel Saul's loan and play him as a right wing back, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan B, certainly. <laughs> so Yeah, um, it, good to see Saul playing a little bit better for Chelsea, speaking of that, but that I wonder what's going to happen with that situation because he could come back and it could it could be a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really it's weird because he's one of those players that um, he's certainly talented enough to be a contributor at most any club, but if his goal is to be a start every match kind of guy, I feel like he's setting his sights a little bit too high at Chelsea and Atletico. So I, I don't know. It, it's almost like he needs to either accept being a role player at Atletico Madrid or move down the table a little bit and play a whole bunch for a, you know, exciting mid-table club. He's getting to that crossroads in his career. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, he's getting to that point at 27, going on 28 this year, where, um, you know, he's hasn't been all that good the past couple of years. He has minutes at Chelsea have been spotty to say the least he's playing a bit better now but will it be too late to convince Chelsea to spend 40 million on him who knows we'll find out over the summer uh, as for Sunday's game what's going to be the key for Villarreal to beat Atletico Unai Emery's never pulled one over on Cholo how is he going to do it Sunday um I, I I hate to say it but y'all are catching and it sounds weird because of what our La Liga run has been lately but y'all are catching us at the absolute perfect time mm. um because uh Paco's out injured Dan Juma's been out injured for a while and um Sammy Chukwesi and Bulai Dia both left for the African Cup of Nations this week mm. um so a lot of the goal creation that has existed in the side in this like incredibly hot run we've had for the last month and a half or so just isn't there right now. Um, it's going to be uh, Gerard Moreno, Jeremy Pino, and honestly, who knows who else trying to carry the attack. Um, so I, I think the the key for us is really just going to be to try to um, 
not make any stupid decisions playing the ball out of the back and uh, hope Gerard nicks a goal somewhere. Um, and otherwise, I mean, it really wouldn't surprise me if Unai Emery went into this one saying, okay, well, we're going to try to get a draw and then just call that it. A draw might be a, a pretty good result from an Atletico point of view as well. This is always one of the toughest games on the calendar, going to La Ceramica, playing Villarreal. And the the first time these two met this year, it was that really crazy four-goal game at the Wanda Metropolitano with an error at the back at the very end. Uh, it seems like that, that's been a theme with Ruli and Gold, a theme this year. Well, so the weird thing about that <laughs> is, like, last year, last year before... Vicente Abora tore his ACL. You just couldn't press us. I mean, with him and Danny Parejo in the middle of the pitch, you could not press us or we were going to go around you and we were going to score. Like, mm-hmm. it was it was unbelievable. And that really didn't matter whether we had a Sinho in goal or whether we had Rui in goal because Rui played in the Europa League. Um, but this season, it just... Abora hasn't been the same guy. Kapui is, is an excellent player, but he's not quite that same kind of possession-based midfielder and Rui who I think is a very good goalkeeper uh is being asked to play more short balls out of the back than anybody else in La Liga and it just has not worked so he's been more we've been more direct the last month or so uh but as you saw yesterday uh whenever we try to go back to that short ball game uh danger is definitely lurking so this could play into Atletico's hands, particularly if Mateus Cunha starts, uh, Joao Felix or Anjo Correa will be partnering him in attack uh, at the start of the game. But particularly Cunha, Carrasco, uh, Rodrigo DePaul as well, those are guys who are going to be key to pressing Villarreal high and trying to win the ball if they're going to play it short out of the back. So that really could play into Atletico's hands. I still think our best look, our best strategy is as a, a counterattacking side with an intelligent press, and I think this is going to be a good proving ground. Um, and it, it's really a battle for European positioning. Villarreal are getting closer to the top four spots. Atletico trying to hold on to a top four spot as we begin the second half of the season. I'm excited for this one. You got a prediction in you? Um, I think I, I'm looking for a 1-1 a, a draw. Um, I think one feature that you might want to look out for um, Jiro Rui and Jeremy Pino have this really, really interesting connection that happens three or four times a game when they're both playing where we get pressed high and Jiro just looks for him. And, and Jeremy's really good at receiving that and playing one ball ahead. And if he can get one of those passes into Gerard Moreno, we're going to score. Um, but uh, I, I don't – we've kept a good number of clean sheets lately, but I don't think we're keeping a clean sheet in this one. So a 1-1 draw, I think. Mm. Yeah, Jeremy uh, put up a couple assists on Atletico last time uh, these mm-hmm. two met. So. And I think one of them was that exact play where they went over the top. Yes, it was. Jeremy knocked it ahead to Denjuma, and then he went in and scored. Yeah, so. that was the second goal, the one that almost stood as the winner. I'm going to go with the draw, too. Um, another 2-2 draw. Why not? Okay. Another four-goal thriller at uh, <laughs> La Ceramica, and pretty much as you were, right? Um the, the game at La Ceramica last year would have ended in a draw under most circumstances because Villarreal just pelted Atletico in the second half, but uh, the, the two goals were enough for Atletico to win there last year on their way to the league title. The league title is uh, obviously very complicated this year, but a win at La Ceramica would be Atletico's third consecutive victory to start the year and would put them in, in fine form, uh, entering a crucial stretch with domestic cups and the Champions League returning 
next month. You said you guys were going to take care of Man United for us. What happened? Man, I, <laughs> apparently this Cristiano guy is pretty good. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I just I, he's so in that in that competition in particular. He is so flipping inevitable. It is just like mind numbing. Like I, I don't even understand. I, I don't want to be I, like Ronaldo and Messi fans are some of the most annoying people on Twitter. So yes. I try not to talk too much about either one of them. But holy crap, in the Champions League, every single time with this guy, just, oh, I don't know. Every time. Every time. And you probably know this way better than I do. I just happen to have experienced (laughs) it for the first time this season. You've only experienced it once. I experienced it four years in a row when he was at Madrid. Golly. Oh, it was horrible. And my thinking, it's the law of averages, right? Everything... Like in the universe, inevitably has to even out at some point down the lines. At some point, Atletico have to beat this guy, right? Yeah, I, surely. I just I don't know. Good, <laughs> good luck, good luck, because I, you know, I, the rest of his team may let him down, but he's going to score. So you got to figure out how to outscore him. Just, is basically all he can do. Especially with the away goals rule being scrapped. Absolutely. So it's everyone's got to win on aggregate now, which I I think is is a good thing, right? The away goals rule. Uh, strategically is very interesting to think about and to enact, but it's archaic. It's old. Oh, I love the away goals rule. I know oh, I, I did too. Love it. I, I love I love the chaos that ensues, and, and like when I think of the away go- goals rule, I actually you know I think of like I, I don't know. Just just been so many times every single year where it's like the the, the calculus of who's going through changes dramatically because you have like a you know. Uh, a four-one away win or something like that. I don't know. I just love the chaos that it brings. Yeah, it was. Uh, we shit housed our way to a couple titles on, on the away goals rule, I, so I, it holds I a special understand. place in my heart. But um, and I don't know. I I think football is kind of a. It's such a random game anyway. But I really appreciate just about anything that adds a little bit extra chaos to the game. Just a little bit extra. You know, holy crap! What just happened to a to a result is something I can usually support, and the away goals rule brings that to me. Um, and I think I, I'm afraid that we're going to end up with a lot more uh, extra time in these knockout stages, and the players don't need those extra minutes, and especially not in February and March. Yeah, and I I don't know. I, the, the, these guys get worked to death so bad. Like, and I mean, I'm. I'm, you know, we as fans are just as guilty as anybody of it because, like, uh, we've got four players leaving for the African Cup of Nations, um, and we played them like two days before they flew out. And I can't wait till they get back because I'm going to want them in the lineup the day after they get back. But it's a lot to ask from these guys. It's such a quick turnaround, and this game on Sunday is taking place not even three full days after the, the, these two teams play cup games. Like yeah. Copa del Rey games, Atletico played a full strength team on on Thursday because of the bad run of results we went on pre Christmas. So it's just so much to ask of of these guys in in the modern day with all these competitions on on so many different levels. Did you see the thing where Spanish football is trying to sort out right now? They've got Elche and somebody else scheduled to play on like back to back days right now, and so they've got to figure out where to put these games because of the way that the Copa's unfolding and everything. I mean, it's just, it's a mess because there's really just nowhere to put it. 
and La, um, and La Liga. I mean, English football is worse because they got English football is worse because they got an extra cup competition. I just yeah. I don't understand it. They have the League Cup, the, or sorry, the Carabao Cup, and La Liga and the Spanish Football Federation are notorious for not communicating these postponements or rescheduling these games on time and giving fans and and journalists just no notice whatsoever or as little notice as possible for these updated kickoff times it's madness every year i really but as a Villarreal fan between the mess that la liga and the spanish football federation do and how much power real madrid and and barcelona throw around you, you just you feel like your world is constantly like one step from crashing down all around you and there's absolutely nothing you can do to prevent it if one of these entities just decides to just wreck everything mm-hmm. um and it's it's just it's a little it's a little scary it really is it's a, a sort of a sinking feeling yeah you know when when it dawns on you uh zach where can our listeners uh follow you and find your work um right now i'm mostly just doing stuff on Real usa so please go check us out there um I hardly do anything on my personal Twitter, so don't even worry about that. Uh, but just just follow me, Real USA, um, especially if you're someone that even if you don't, you know, care what's happening with Real, I promise you, I'm going to tweet enough snarky things about big money clubs all over the world that you'll find something that you appreciate. So come follow us on Twitter, read a little bit on the site. Um, we've got a uh, a weekly feature that predicts all the games in La Liga. Um, and we've, we've done a, we've had a pretty decent run of success so far with that this year. So yeah, come check us out. Yes. Your, your algorithm with uh, Charlie Tooley, right? Correct. The, uh, yeah. the odds I mean, and it actually, it actually has us as heavy favorites against Atletico this week. Uh, but it's, it's, it's XG based. Um, so what it's doing is it's calculating our XG from when we had Blue Idea and Sammy Chiquese available and projecting that ahead for a game where we don't have them available. So that, I think that prediction's a little bit shaky. But overall, it's, it's gotten about half the games right this year, which in a sport with three possible results, I think is pretty good. That's pretty dang good. Absolutely. Well, the most, the most likely scoreline, according to your algorithm, is 1-0 Villarreal. I'm going to hope that that's not right. I'm going to hope that that doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't know. We 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 will see if, if we can if we can keep from shooting ourselves in the foot. We play pretty good defense, so we'll see. Going to be a good one, and I'm very much looking forward to watching it and covering it. Zach Hicks, thank you so much for joining me on today's Colch Narrow Chat. Okay, thank you very much for having me on. You guys make sure you follow Vireal USA on Twitter and check out their work. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, in the meantime, keep it here on Into the Calderon and on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Chat. We will be back on Sunday for instant analysis and another full-length episode of the show. Thank you all so much for listening, and adios.